Hello, everyone. This is Belinda Carr, and you're listening to my podcast on building science, products, and technology. As we know, the construction industry is ripe for automation and disruption. It has been reliant on manual labor and outdated tech for far too long, which has led to lagging productivity. Every week, I chat with a company that is exploring ways to tackle these issues. Today, I'm speaking with David Rengli, Director of Market Strategy at Rengli International in Switzerland. Thanks for joining us, David. Linda, pleasure to be here. Hi, welcome, everyone. So your family's company, Rengli International, is a specialist in timber construction. You have one of the largest and most modern timber production facilities in Europe. And I was fortunate enough to visit it just a couple of weeks ago. So thank you, first of all, for hosting us and everyone else in the SEGA group. That was truly a mind-blowing experience. Your factory is so impressive. Well, thank you very much. Glad and to I, have you there. Yeah, and it's just, it's almost as large as a soccer field. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. I've actually never made the comparison, um, but yeah, I think so. We're having about, around about eighty to 100,000 square feet in uh, in Switzerland, yeah. And so let's explain a little bit more about uh, the company itself before diving into the history of the company. So y'all have figured out this magic formula to panelize construction and y'all make all these prefabricated panels in your factory through this incredible almost assembly line production like where y'all actually cut the the timber members with the machine with the and then the drywall even the drywall is cut with the cnc router and and then it moves on to the next stage with the assembly of the walls and then the floors and all of it is packaged very tightly and very precisely and shipped off to job sites where it's assembled on on the job site. Uh, so that in a nutshell is what your company has managed to achieve. Right. That is, and I think the process goes a little bit further. I mean, we start obviously way earlier in the engineering and the architecture yes. department. And once we were done with production, it um, goes on to assembly and uh, finally handing over the building to the client and, uh, you know, dealing with warranty issues and everything that the client uh, or that is necessary um, in, in Switzerland also a few years after the after sales true. process. Yeah, I kind of simplified the whole process in my brief explanation. It's much more complicated than that. But let's start off with the history of your company. Y'all are almost a hundred years old. The company was started by your great, great grandfather in 1923. Is that right? That's correct. So is that that you probably been asked this a hundred times over, but so is this is this company that you have built today? Is that what your great grandfather envisioned or what did he how did he start off with the company and when did you all pivot to this incredibly modern facility? Um, so it's true, yeah. Next year we're celebrating our hundred years uh, anniversary, and uh, the company is currently owned in the fourth generation, and um, me am representing the fifth generation, taking over next year with the with the big anniversary. Um, I honestly don't think that a hundred years ago you could have uh, envisioned this size and this automation and, and where basically timber construction in this country has come to. So. Um, to to be realistic about it, I think up until 1991, when my father's generation took over, it, this was a rather small local sawmill and carpentry shop. They employed back in the day around about 10 people. For comparison, we're over 250 now. 
So it grew quite a lot. And I think also the, the whole prefab process wasn't necessarily something that was part of the, of the previous generation. However, they obviously worked with timber. They built roofs, for example. They did specialized constructions like uh, churches, um, also farmhouses, barns, stuff like that. But I think what we have in common to this day is this love for the material, the aim for quality and just uh, delivering a really great product. So absolutely that, I mean, the quality of your product and the performance of the final, finally assembled buildings is one of the most important factors of your business. You all are proud of that. You all assist designers in the process of making these highly efficient buildings. And you all make sure that during the production as well, like everything is so well thought out. When you were explaining it and you gave us a factory tour, it seemed like you had thought of every aspect of the business, where particular elements had to be placed in the factory, the distance between elements, how they were labeled, QR codes, everything is optimized so well. Is this like a continual uh, research and development that goes on at your company, trying to figure out the absolute best optimization of the assembly line? Well, absolutely. I think it has two parts to it, right? On one hand, you have uh, incrementum, uh, incremental like processes that you, you just try to get better every day. And we work very hard. I mean, to give you an example, we're, we're spending uh, four full days a year. We shut down everything, like the factory, but also all the offices. And we have the entire staff just working on processes, making their life, their own life, their own work a little bit better, a little bit more efficient. Um, so that's one thing. And that's just a continuous process. Um, and then on the other hand, of course, uh, it involves some uh, more radical innovations every few years when you build a new factory, when you when you put up a new production line or put in new automated machinery. So that goes hand, uh, hand in hand, basically. Um, I think what is very important to understand here is that prefabricated timber construction doesn't just start in the factory, right? I mean, in order for us to know what we're even going to produce, we need like very detailed plans. Um, today, this is usually a 3D model that has all the information about the, the building that we're going to produce, all the way down to where is your power plug going to be, where is your light outlet going to be. And with all this information in the model, we generate uh, CAD data that goes straight to the machines and therefore just makes the whole process very, very efficient and also very detail-oriented because we can. And since we can, we kind of have to follow through because if we miss out on a certain hole, on a certain cut in the material, of course, it's going to cause problems either in the production light or then latest uh, while we assemble the building. Absolutely. So, so you kind of started with the the entire process let's continue on that so in the beginning you all assist designers in figuring out how to design a building with the modular construction in mind because it's very it's a very very different mindset if designing a building thinking that it's going to be constructed on site versus off site do you all have a particular specialized software that you'll provide to designers engineers architects to help them figure out how to modularize a building that's a very good question. Uh, we do not in Switzerland because um, our clients and the product or the buildings that we produce, there are always individual buildings, always customized. This is what the market here demands. And this is the segment that we're in. So we do not have a, let's say, configurator that helps okay. you 
um, make that make that planning process very easily. However, I, I really like the word assist because that's essentially what we do. So if let's say you're an architect and you come up with an idea, we try to kind of break through the traditional phase that the architect does all the work, they tender out, you get the price feedback and you choose one company. And once you have the company, they start replanning everything because obviously it doesn't necessarily match what you have envisioned to what can be produced. So we're trying to be way more efficient by getting into the projects a lot earlier. That means while you're in the design phase as an architect, uh, you can come to us and uh, we will give you the timber know-how, the prefab know-how and assist you on the way. We give you tips how to do things better, how to solve certain issues. And we will also give you feedback right away um, what works, what doesn't work, what costs more, what costs less, what's complicated and so on. So that's really a, a process that is super beneficial because on one hand, the designers, the architects, they also learn about that method of construction. So if they have a follow-up project with another client, they have also developed already and there's quite a likely chance that they might want to work with us again because they have seen the entire process and they see the benefits. That's such a good method. experience with y'all. They never want to go back to on-site construction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's a bit different. I mean, what we do not necessarily have in Switzerland at all is the traditional stick frame. So yeah. that's not what we're competing with. But of course, we're competing with the with the general concrete and brick and mortar construction. Um, and uh, yeah, the process is a lot different. Uh, to give you an example, just yesterday I had the pleasure to visiting one of our sites, and um, it was a, a multi-story building. I think it was uh, the first eighteen or twelve out of fifty something apartments that we're building. And so the, they're all the way up in the fourth floor right now. And you walk through the building and I mean, it's clean. There is no waste. There is no, I, I, I honestly, I honestly thought yesterday when I saw it, I think they went through with a vacuum clean. That's how clean it looked. There is no waste. There is no excess material. Everything is just on point. And I think that impression, that reference, I mean, it's fantastic for the designers that see the process, but also for the, for the client, for the owner of those buildings. That's very different than uh, construction sites here in the States. I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but I've seen several sites here littered with beer cans, trash, scrap, <laughs> scrap wood everywhere. And you can eliminate some of that when walls and all that are made in a factory. But you said that there are two main advantages to assisting designers in the process. I guess the second advantage is that if they develop their 3D model, to a very high degree of detail that decreases the amount of work that y'all have to do when they pass off the model to y'all. That's correct. To be honest, there is still a lot of improvement in that process. Uh, we're working on it, especially with uh, I mean, just building information modeling um, as a process that we see it is um, something that we develop together also with certain designers, with certain architects. And what we see is that a lot of people are gathering a lot of knowledge in this field, but I think what's important is to kind of link the disciplines and get to the point where eventually the process is a seamless process. I think in an ideal world, you design something as an architect and we generate the machine data right out of that specific model that you have already created. To be honest, we're not quite there yet. But it's a, a long process, but we're on the way and uh, we've made a lot of big improvements already. And we're really getting to the point where we see not just additional work because the method is a bit more complicated, but we see the benefit 
imagine, for example, as a designer, eventually you get feedback from your municipality, um, from the building code, or your client just changes something. Let's assume you change around some windows. Now, in a traditional way, you would draw new plans, you would hand them to the construction company, you get new estimates, you get new schedules, etc., etc. Now, with the model, you move a window, you change the size, and it's seamlessly going through, we'll have a new price, a new schedule, and there's absolutely no delays. As opposed to what people are currently doing right now. Yeah. I think so. But I mean, you have to see, it's also somewhat a shift in mindset. Like you as a client and also you as an architect, you have to be willing to make certain decisions earlier than what you're used to. It doesn't mean you have to make more decisions. As in a traditional stick built or concrete house, eventually you will have to decide where your kitchen is going to be, where your bathroom is going to be, but also where is your water outlet, where is your power outlet, etc. But instead of choosing it in the end, once you're in the room, you're doing it a lot earlier. And then, especially it's helpful if we have a 3D model, you put on your uh, VR goggles, you walk through your virtual house, you get to see the exact same thing that you would see on the building side, just a lot earlier. Therefore, you can make good uh, decisions. I bet your company was a lot different in the 90s when your father was thinking about this new forward way of thinking um, because we didn't have technology like this back then. We didn't have VR, AR, or even BIM was at its very, very, very early stages, if at all. Everyone is still modeling in 2D. So y'all were ahead of the game by years if y'all could imagine making these prefab panels out of 2D drawings. Yeah, I think it was uh, born out of necessity, basically. When when that generation took over, there weren't so many timber buildings in Switzerland. It used to have a long tradition, like, you know, in the 1900s, but then the skill was kind of forgotten over the years. And, and by that time, the code has changed over the years. And in the beginning of the 19s, all you could do in, in uh, prefab timber was basically doing single family detached houses, an old barn here and there, or a roof on certain buildings. That was it. But what they saw back in the day was the potential of doing off-site construction. And then they looked around in the market um, and we saw, okay, panelization was the method used back then. So we made a big investment in 1995 and built the first big prefab factory in Switzerland. At the time, it was primarily aimed also at the single family house market because that was kind of all that you were allowed to build. And what we have done different at that time is very early before the whole CO2 um, and and climate change debate was so popular, we focused very early on, on this niche to create green buildings, to create energy efficient buildings, And that was how we were able to set ourselves apart from the traditional methods of construction, because that just simply wasn't the topic there. Yeah. Um, So So when you say traditional, the traditional methods would be the CMU and steel and all that. That's what's traditionally used in Switzerland. Exactly. So in the States here, whenever I talk about the advantages of timber construction, there is, I always get this big, loud, (laughs) very almost... um, like visceral backlash because everyone thinks timber construction equals deforestation. And is there a similar thing that you have to deal with in Switzerland or your people over there understand what sustainably harvested wood is and, and you are open about the, the um, sustainable forest management practices that you all engage in? 
Absolutely. I think there's a better understanding here. I mean, Switzerland is a really small country, but we have a lot of forests. However, the forests are usually located in the mountains, so it's very hard to harvest there in the first place. However, that logic that if you cut down a tree, you need to plant a new one to make that whole process sustainable. I think it's rather deeply rooted. I think I've never really had that conversation here. Um, people do understand it. And what we do as a firm, I mean, obviously, we're only using uh, certified wood, whether that is FSC or PFC, like there are certain labels that basically guarantee that whatever is harvested is also planted once again. And um, all so the it's wood not that really a... Sorry, all the wood that you source is local, right? It's from Switzerland. No, that's not entirely true. I mean, we do have uh, Swiss wood as well, but I think what we have to take into consideration here, we do have, I would say, better harvestable forests in, in Austria and in Germany. It's still in the in the region of the Alps, so rather close to Switzerland, in south of Germany, for example, where a lot of forest grows on rather even uh, or uh, flat surfaces, so it's easier to harvest. So we get a lot of wood source from there, but the main driver for this is not that we don't have the wood here in Switzerland or we wouldn't want to use it, but rather that we use a lot of engineered wood. That means instead of just cutting out the two by four out of a tree and using it as a stick frame, uh, our buildings, especially when we go into multi-story buildings, uh, we need to have engineered wood, glue lamps, uh, for example, or CLT, for example. And in Switzerland, unfortunately, over the years, the, there isn't really that many glue lamp factories left, and especially not some that do mass productions of regular beams, for example. They do a lot of special construction. If you have really, really wide beams, really high beams, you can still get it sourced in Switzerland. But what happens oftentimes, you would take a Swiss tree, it goes to a big plant in Germany to get engineered, uh, and then it comes back to Switzerland. So that's unfortunately the reason that this this country here doesn't have that industry, uh, the, the glue industry, and also the sawmills here, to be honest. I mean, we do have uh, some left, but most of them are specialized in, let's say, window frames, for uh, to give you one example, or facade um, materials. And they just simply don't have the capacity to, to attend to those big clients uh, as we are, and, and provide the, you know, the resources in a meaningful time frame. So is Rangli's eventual hope and plan to scale up to a certain to the such a high degree that y'all y'all can assist in the development of engineered wood facilities in Switzerland, so you don't have to use facilities in Germany? It's not a strategic priority that we okay. have, and the reason being that those factories uh, to be efficient and to really um, you know, digging economies of scale, you need such large volumes yeah. that we would, it's, we're not talking, you know, double our production, but have it 10, 20 fold uh, bigger. So we don't really see it as our responsibility and also not as our core competence to really, you know, start gluing or start sawing or eventually start planting the trees here in Switzerland. That's we have a very strong focus, you know, on, on the factory, on panelization, on the engineering of the entire process. And that's where our core competence lies. And uh, we rather want to, you know, put our strengths on that. And of course, we have a lot of partners. There is some very interesting projects uh, in this regard here in Switzerland. We hope, um, we really do, that um, one of them will be successful so that we would open up another uh, supply channel. 
Oh, that's exciting. So in addition to sustainably harvested wood, one of the uh, key factors that, that pop up in your you know, on your website is the energy efficiency. And I kind of touched on this earlier in our conversation. So when I visited your factory, Minergy, the Minergy standard was something new to me. I hadn't heard of that before. And that is equivalent to, I guess, the passive house standard in the States. But what was shocking to me was that Minergy's high energy, high energy, uh, high performance homes, that's like the baseline for construction in the country. Is that right? It's almost right. It, it, it used to be better than the building code. Um, but the building code has adapted and changed and it got uh, a lot more restrictive. And therefore, to Minergy for themselves to set themselves apart, they were also getting uh, stricter and stricter. The rules became harder to achieve. I'm sorry, it's Minergy, general, not Minergy. I, I screwed. It's, sorry, it's <laughs> same, same thing. I don't, I don't know how, would, how you would even pronounce it or how they would pronounce it in English. However, in, in general, it's a Swiss uh, building label. It's a quality label. And they do have different... Um, standards like i mean if you if you're talking lead for example as you have gold platinum and whatnot this kind of same thing applies for energy in general what they do is that they're uh, really focusing on a few things like uh, they want you to have a um, well insulated home they want you to do, reduce the heat demand per square meter that you use per year to kind of keep your house uh, in a livable condition um, it's always involves a controlled um, air ventilation system because also an airtight building envelope is one of the priorities that they focus on. So in order for you to have clean, good air inside, you need that automated system uh, in order not to run out of, uh, of, uh, of oxygen, basically. Um, furthermore, there is some rules like no fossil fuels for heating allowed. And then there is also some special Minergy Echo standard, for example, where you would focus a little bit more on other dimensions. You want to have healthy materials. You want to have uh, enough daylight in your house, soundproofing, um, sustainability of uh, materials, gray, uh, gray energy in the, in the um, whole process. So, you know, there's a lot of dimensions that they look yeah. at. And depending on which Minergy label that you're going to get, the rules are a little bit different. So how does that, that affect your business? Do you have to constantly be aware of what materials you are keeping in stock, what materials you can use that follow this Minergy code? Well, absolutely, because, I mean, let me be clear, Minergy is not um, a necessity here in Switzerland. It's something that you choose that is a bit stricter than the regular code. And as we attend to all kind of clients' needs, it can be that one project that we do is a Minergy certified or is Minergy P, which is kind of a passive um, standard. Uh, the next one might be a client that wants a certificate from LEED or from, you know, there's, there's many, many labels in the market. So depending on your client, you have to be able to react to all the requirements and it means in certain, uh, in certain times, yeah, you have to exchange a certain material or be very aware that um, you don't use certain types of glues, uh, some maximum amounts of a certain material that is only allowed in, in the building and so on and so on. So there's a, like from my own experience, sometimes almost a bit of a jungle depending on the label. And um, we have to take into consideration that some labels, they go even further. Like when we're talking lead, for example, you have the whole ESG dimension. So you're not just talking about the building itself, but where is it located? How does it attend to different tenants, et cetera, et cetera? 
So you have to take a lot more into consideration and your team has to be ready to adapt to that and adapt the processes to fit all the criteria. So at the end of the day, you get your label right. So that's such a tricky business for you all to be into because you'll have to keep up with the software. You'll have to keep up with all the hardware in your facility, the automated saws, the, the tilting tables, the robot arms, if you all have those, it, the CNC machines, you all are a software hardware company, you all are also advisors to the, the architects, you all are also dealing with the clients out on job sites and assisting them in, with how to assemble all these uh, panels together. That's, <laughs> that's a lot to juggle. Well, it, it is, it is indeed, and that's a lot of different fields. And I mean, we, we have to be aware that it's so many skill sets that you need that it's simply just not doable if you're too small of a firm. You need so many different skill sets, so many different um, educations and degrees to really be an expert in your respective field. And uh, I think that's one of the drivers why now we have uh, 250 trained professionals uh, with us and we're still growing um, in order to just attend to all these different needs that we have to be aware of. And it's not easy to build a company like what you and your father and grandfather and all that have built. It's just you have it's hard work. It's a lot of investment that continual investment, time and money that goes into maintaining such a complex prefab modular business. Um like the the machines that you have in your factory, do you have to constantly turn them like turn them around and look for the next CNC router that that's better? Or do you even have uh, like technicians at, that are part of Rangley that can like switch out bits to the next the next bit that's out there or even like tweak these um robot arms or something to to make them better? Um it's a good question. It's a bit hard to answer. I mean, we do all of the above mentioned, yeah. right? So, so I mean, of course, we do have an in-house team in whether that's on the software front or whether that's on the hardware front. Um, and sometimes it's little tweaks and tricks. You know, you find out while you're producing something. Um, what we oftentimes see is actually not just, you know, it, we, we move to the next generation of machines. That's kind of obvious every once in a while. It's, it's a rather long-term process, but... Because, I mean, also lead times, right? When you order a new CNC machine today, you have somewhat between 18 and then probably 36 months of lead time before you mm -hmm. could even get it. Um, but I think what's more important is that we try to adjust. I, I told you before, um, we have very individual projects. So that also means what goes through the factory or what comes out of the factory is very different from day to day. Yeah. So what we're trying to do to increase efficiency within a certain project. So let's say I have a double-sided panel that is closed and it has, you know, 12 layers in a specific project. And that might be more than I would usually have. So then we also optimize the process itself. Uh, not so much the machines, but the process, like where do I store which material, which step um, would give us an increased efficiency in order to just really seamlessly integrate and learn throughout the, a certain project. So, the, the, so you talked that. like this when we were visiting the factory too. You like analyzed every part of your business and almost made it like like an Amazon facility where they have figured out where certain items need to be, which factory needs to stock which items. You have really dived into the nitty gritty of how your business runs. And that's, it's very impressive. Like, 
everyone I talk to who is looking at the construction industry, like outsiders, they all say, why can't it be automated like the soft, like the uh, automotive industry or like the aviation industry? They have figured out how to automate all this stuff. Why has the construction industry not? And y'all have made significant steps towards automating it. I think the difference, I mean, yes, we do. We also look at, I mean, with Envy, we look at the at automotive uh, manufacturing plant. And I mean, it's phenomenal what these people are doing. And we wish our facility was as automated. But I believe the difference is, you know, if you produce, let's say, 100,000 doors for your, you know, whether that's your Tesla, whether that's your BMW or whatnot. But you do have so big numbers that it really makes sense to automate all these processes to program a robot to put in that specific door in that specific model in a very specific way however for us when we design and and, uh, produce a building we do and will have all individual parts yeah it's not uncommon that not a single panel is the same as the other one in an entire project so it's a lot harder to automate this because you cannot just simply program a very uh, certain step very uh, very efficiently but you basically would have to program the robots every single time unless you eventually get into more um, parametric way of thinking and the robots and the new generations they allow us to do that as well so uh, i think it's a step-by-step process i really hope that uh, within my generation we'll make some significant improvements and also really get the benefits uh, of, of automation and robotization in the factory I, I completely agree with you. I hope we can start thinking about buildings at like a set of SKUs where you use, use certain panels that are the same size, but your eventual outcome can be creative. There's no reason why it cannot, but the building blocks that you start with can be from like a certain a list that you use. That's just, that's the hope. But how do you maintain your competitive advantage in an industry that is so um, so creative and wants this like, their fingerprint on every single building. They want every building to be slightly different because you are maintaining these really expensive machines. and But your process is also highly individualized. It's not standard. How are your buildings cost competitive with on-site construction or other construction in Switzerland? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have to be. I mean, not only um, within our respective sector of, of analyzed timber uh, prefab. I mean, we have a lot of really great firms in Switzerland, as you have seen. A lot of other people are also doing a phenomenal job. So therefore, yeah, you really have to stay ahead of the curve. How do you do it? I think one of the main reasons is like you really need to care. I think that's where it starts. And I think it starts with culture. Right. Like if you build a company culture where all your contrib- uh, contributors are really focused on a certain vision, they really want to achieve greatness and they want to get better every single day. That's a mindset and the spirit that you have in the firm that will allow you to to grow, to stay competitive, to have creative ideas, to test out new things and so on. I think that's a very big part. Second, of course, um, we do have to be cost competitive, especially also compared to regular methods of construction, because our clients at the end of the day, I'd say definitely not all of them are just convinced necessarily by timber or by the CO2 reduction. We do with the bigger multi-story buildings have a lot of uh, institutional investors as clients. And there, um, you know, the the return on investment is just playing a, a big part. And unfortunately, the way we look at buildings and return on investments in a, in a DCF method as it's traditionally done, 
we don't necessarily look so much at the cost of using it over time, but we look a lot, we focus on the cost of building it on day one. Cost, yep. Exactly. And I mean, if that's a comparison point, well, we we have no other chance but to, yeah. to match it or try to match it. And if um, eventually, like if you compare the same materials, the same quality um, in, in prefab timber and regular construction, I think we are absolutely cost competitive. What we can do on top of that, though, is that I believe we can build a lot faster. We can build a lot higher quality and a lot more standardized quality. We are not impacted by winter, by snow, by rain and whatnot. And last but not least, if we have uh, returning customers, you've learned so much in the process that we will just become more and more efficient. So that's also on, on top of that. And I mean, at the end of the day, with our clients, if your building is up half a year earlier, you will sell or rent it half a year earlier. And uh, that's also a big advantage. That's that's very true. The time that it takes to construct it could be, even if it's the upfront cost is slightly a little bit more, that time could make up for that slight increase in cost. And you know what we see in today's world with all this um, like instability, with volatility in prices for building materials and whatnot. I think one of the big advantages here is since we do have our you know three-dimensional twin, our digital twin, before we even go into the building project itself, it means we really know the amount of materials that are in there, the cost of those respective materials. And since we do know very early, we can also make orders early, for example. We can guarantee a certain price very early in the project, whereas in traditional methods, you start, you figure out that you missed something, you need to order again, you might have delays and whatnot. So that all plays a big role. I mean, this this uh, certainty of your costs and of your schedule, that's also worth something um, to many of our clients very early in the project. That's that's very true. So where do you see Rangli going? I mean, your your position to take over the fifth generation, uh, taking over this incredible company. What are your future goals for Rangli International? Well, I think for for uh, the group, especially for uh, the Rangli Group here in Switzerland, we've been based here for a hundred years. Um, we've developed uh, all over the country. We've built subsidiaries in the different uh, different regions, and in Switzerland, that means different languages. So, for example, we do have a team of more than, than uh, 20 contributors now in the French-speaking part of Switzerland. We do have um, a whole office in the Italian-speaking part and whatnot. So we've basically grown here and really tried to cover the, the entire region here. Um, and do you, you know, all, I'm my, sorry a bit to interrupt you, but the, the factories in the French-speaking part, do you all even work on projects in France or in Italy, in Germany? Um, no, not yet. I mean, what we're doing, uh, just to be clear here, we're producing uh, everything out of one factory so far, the one okay. that you visited in central Switzerland. Those offices are primarily, um, you know, the engineers, uh, the, the project uh-huh. managers and whatnot that deal with the project uh, in their own respective language. Okay. However, um, in recent years, we've been looking over the border. Um, we've uh, done a lot of analysis and, and figured out where is the next step going to lead us. Uh, we've gathered some experience the last, I'd say, four to five years. We've been uh, active building buildings in Germany. So we crossed the border there, also mostly supplied of our, out of our Swiss factory. And um, as we can see in the media now, um, we have recently decided that we're going to make an investment uh, in, in Germany, uh, close to Berlin, to build up a new production facility and really you know, be fit for that respective market and uh, also grow a, a local team 
um, that can really adapt to the slightly different market conditions that we have here in Switzerland. So that's uh, certainly that's the next exciting. big step. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Is it going to be a little... similar sized facility to the one that you already have in Switzerland? or and It's yeah. it's a bit bigger. It's a bit larger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see uh, a lot of demand and, and it's also slightly different aim. Like in Switzerland, we have these highly individualized, individualized um, panels that we produce. And as we have discussed already, I mean, also we believe in a certain standardization that we could uh, be even more efficient and get uh, get our throughput uh, lifted by, you know, a double digit number if the whole um, product is a bit more standardized. And I think that we believe that the German market is more ready for those type of developments. They do have bigger, um, uh, bigger uh, parcels or, or rather, um, how do you say, uh, bigger areas that they get to develop okay. so therefore they can um, you know be a bit more flexible um, to to come up with something a bit more standardized like you know from the technical aspect it doesn't have because to look acquiring land uh, is extremely like difficult in switzerland exactly. so they are limited with what they can build as opposed to in germany where they might have a little more freedom Exactly, that's the point. And and I think here our, our land um, that you can buy is usually super small, so you really have to make the most out of it and you don't have, you have to be individual in order to make it worth it, basically. And um, in, in Germany, yeah, as, as we said, we're, we're also having slightly different aim. We're going more into volumetric construction. So we want to kind of, you know, bring prefab to the next level. And instead of just doing wall panels and floor panels, we want to uh, develop entire rooms including the interior fit out that is are then transported to site and assembled even quicker um, uh, to a higher degree of standardization and um, yeah happy to let you know um, by the time this comes out uh, it will be official so we're also launching a new brand it's called Timpla uh, on timpla.eu you will find us uh, we're going live with production in the beginning of 2024 so still some time, just started uh, started with the building of the factory and we're super excited. I think with a, with a great team and, and great partners that are uh, local, we're building this new facility and uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited for the next steps. So Timpla is going to be the name of this new facility in Germany? Exactly. It's like it's its, its own company based, uh, based in, in Berlin and uh, they will basically okay. attend to the market using the Timpla brand. Yeah, That's awesome. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I hope to visit uh, your facility by the time it's up and running in 2024. You're very welcome. I mean, we'll gladly have you again and then uh, show you some new tricks and maybe some new machines and some new processes. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's, it's exciting uh, also to, to start something new and really, you know, back it on on the shoulders that we already have on the experience the know-how that we have but and also all the, the data that you've gathered i mean you've gathered basically 20 years or more of data on how to optimize this process how the swiss industry works now you can use that data and modify it in germany and then eventually in other countries too and come over to the states as well because we really need a facility like yours over here yeah, it's a bit far, you know, like a few years ago, uh, we've actually looked into it. I mean, we've also visited um, a lot of uh, suppliers, we've visited a lot of producers over there, but we decided to do it step by step. I think that's maybe what uh, what's a bit different when you're a family-owned company and uh, have more of a generational outlook. Um, you also, you know, we don't need to scale. Yeah. Like we want to scale at, to a certain extent when we see great opportunities, but we don't have... Um, you know, quarterly shareholder meetings where they push us to do so, so we can have really long-term outlook on things. 
and uh, also grow more organically and, um, you know, get the team ready for the next step as well. I think that's very important. I said it before. I mean, the culture yeah. is one thing and to kind of keep that up and keep the spirit in the firm. Um, it's important to have innovation, but you also want to be sustainable in that way that, that uh, like sustainable and reliable in a way. Um, so yeah, and step by step. But... Yeah. That's what's different about your company. Like I've seen startups here with noble ambitions to disrupt the construction industry, but they have, from what I, when I talk to them, I feel like they have short-term goals. Being a family-owned company and having the, not the burden, but this this extra added responsibility of holding up the family name. And you, I, like you said, everyone under you, all your employees and all y'all are all a family. It's not just the Ringley family, it's all the employees too. You're a one big family unit. So you all have you'll have to take a little more calculated decisions, a little smarter uh, growth stages rather than just rapid, irresponsible growth almost. You know, you know whether, whether this is smarter or not, I'm not actually sure because I think the ambitions of, of those startups that really want to disrupt the whole industry, I think it's fantastic. And I yeah. think in general, they have also showed us to a certain extent what can be or what could be possible if you succeed. However, um, as with all things, I mean, if you just uh, load up a huge plate and, and you have all these different business models that you want to integrate at one specific point in time, I think it gets extremely difficult. And we have to we have to be aware of that. I mean, at the end of the day, it is construction. It is not rocket science, but it's also not like you're just developing one product and once you're done with it, you know, you produce your X hundred million of iPhones. Um, it is just a little bit more nitty gritty and you, you will have different customers, you will have different uh, architects, different planners, different municipalities, different rules in states and countries and so on. And I think you have to take all of that into consideration um, while you scale up to, to yeah, that's, that you that's just keep true. it under control, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for sharing all that knowledge with us and um I, again, I hope to visit your facility again and even the new one in Germany. There is so much we can learn from the way y'all are doing things. And I hope to hope a lot of people are watching this podcast and listening to you because it's going to help the entire industry as a whole. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being uh, online with you. And I'm glad to have you again uh, in Eberswalde uh, in Berlin once the factory is up. But I'm really looking forward to what's happening in the industry. So keep in touch and until next time. Thank you, David.